0: Christ is risen. Amen. 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 Good job. Uh, we're looking at uh, one of the gospel accounts of, of the resurrection. And the angel in this passage says those very words. He is risen. He's not here. Uh, it's a passage, though, that has uh, uh, underneath and at its core as a theme misunderstanding. And so, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm very familiar with misunderstandings. They happen all the time. I've noticed that in lots of movies and TV shows, the the plot basically moves forward because there's some misunderstanding. If you remember a really kind of lame-ish type uh, sitcom in the late 70s, early 80s, called Three's Company, not worth looking up, don't bother, but (laughs) every week it was like one person misunderstood someone and only heard part of a conversation, and the whole half-hour-long show was about the crazy things that happened until the end, in the last two minutes, everything was fine, and we got it all back together again, yay. Um, But even more significant literature, you think about Romeo and Juliet, misunderstandings, pride and prejudice, all kinds of stories. And so here, as we look at the true story, the most important story, true and living hope for us, I'm doing something a little risky, and I'm going to run the risk of being misunderstood. Because as we look at this passage in Mark 16, 1 through 8, it is uh, followed by this kind of weird thing about the end of Mark's gospel that we'll talk about in a little bit, but it's risky. It's the empty tomb, but there's a lot of debate about those last few verses, about whether they're in there in verses 9 through 20 or not, and again, we'll, we'll talk about that, but what, what, I, what I want to do... And why I'm willing to take that risk of being misunderstood is because this is a passage about misunderstanding, so what better time to address something like that? Uh, But the reality as well that this passage teaches that Jesus offers new beginnings. No matter what has happened in the past, all the time Jesus offers those new beginnings. In fact, I'm willing to take the risk of being misunderstood because I know that even if I mess up, And if I do, and if you hear something strange, please feel free to talk to me, shoot me an email, give me a call, uh, catch me after the service, because even if I mess up in communicating the truth, I know that Jesus offers new beginnings all the time. And what I want you to know, even, is I'm willing to take this risk in dealing with this passage today, with the biggest attendance we've probably had in, like, more than two years. Uh, on the biggest Sunday of all, is because I want you to know. And I want you to not misunderstand. I want you to understand what is going on here in this passage because this passage is for you. This passage offers you a new beginning all the time. This is the Word of God. This is the good news about Jesus. And this is a story about you, for you. And if you haven't realized that, you haven't heard it. No matter how many times it's hit your eardrums. So please listen. Read along with me. Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him, that is Jesus. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you they went out and fled from the tomb, trembling, and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is God's word. Oh Lord, please bless now our hearts, our minds, our ears, our eyes with this, your word. May it be more than sound waves hitting our eardrums. May it be more than ink on paper. May it be more than pixels on a screen. May it be the living and life-giving hope that each one here needs. We pray to You, the God of new beginnings. In Jesus' name, Amen. I do, lo- I do love that, that saying, He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good job. A good job not saying that right in the middle of the scripture reading. I was wondering, you know, if I waited too long, maybe you would chime in. So he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. I, I love, I love that. I love that the angel does say that in here. You know, he says in verse six, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is risen yeah. Just like the women did in the passage, right? Oh, wait, no, that's not in there, is it? Did they say he is risen? No, they did not. Isn't that interesting? And I love that. One of the great misunderstandings that we have in life is, is, is one, that everybody in the Bible like, kind of lived like we do, or two, that they were all super saints and super holy and never did anything wrong and always got it, right? I mean, that, that's, that's one of our great misunderstandings to think that the people in the Bible achieve some kind of flawless, superhero, perfect kind of life. And so if we were to look at this passage to say things like, well, you know, don't be like these women. You know, if if an angel says to you, he is risen, you say, he's risen indeed. That's not the point of the passage. In fact, their speechlessness, their their failure to respond to the angel just sit there going, whoa, what, huh? is something that gives me tremendous hope because I misunderstand a lot in life, in marriage, in parenting, in all circumstances. There are things that we misunderstand. And here, the Bible speaks to us about the resurrection and the great message of the new beginning that's possible. The new beginning, no matter what has happened before, this new beginning for you, for me, That the resurrection obtains for us. And that's what it's all about. It's about a new beginning, but the first thing that has to happen is that there's an ending. So as we look at this passage, that's the first thing to notice, that, that there was an ending. Jesus died and was buried We see that in these verses, but if you were here on Friday night for Good Friday, or if you've read Mark 14 and 15, you you know just those things that came through again and again of Jesus' betrayal by Judas, the the Last Supper, the religious leaders putting him on trial and bringing false witnesses, the waffling of Pilate as he's kind of like, I don't want to kill an innocent man, but what do you want? He was trying to weasel out of it. The suffering of Jesus, his death on the cross. And then I just want you to read back. If you're in your Bibles, turn back to Mark 15. Probably just a page. It might even be on the same page as it is on my Bible. To Mark 15:37, right towards the end of all of those things that we read on Good Friday. I think it's this. Uh, we read this. Mark 15:37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man is the Son of God. And then look at this, verse 40 of Mark 15. There were also, sorry, I'm doing something wrong. Mark 15, verse 40, there were also some women looking on, and the word there is uh, they're observing with sustained attention, you know, they're, they're just looking on for the whole thing from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and Joseph and Salome. So there were two Marys and Salome. The same people we just read about in our passage today. They were there the whole time watching as Jesus died on the cross. In fact, it goes on to say that they had followed him and ministered to him for many years, along with many other women who were with him. And as he died there on that cross on that Friday afternoon, it was just a few hours before the Passover would start on Friday evening. And so they were scrambling to get him into a tomb because they believed you had to rest and not do anything like that on the Sabbath, which started at around 6 p.m. And we read further at the end of Mark 15 that Mary Magdalene, verse 47, and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking on to see where he was laid. Now, all that is kind of the background, right? That's, if you were reading through Mark, which I encourage you to do sometime, it's short. You know, it might take you, if you're a slow reader, I think maybe 45 minutes at most. You could read through this whole thing. Uh, but they, that's the setting, right? That's the background of, of, that we then see as these women, very early on the first day of the week, come to the tomb when the sun had risen. That would be Sunday morning. And it says in verse 1 that they had gone and bought spices when the Sabbath ended. That would have been Saturday evening. The days went for them from Friday evening to Saturday evening, evening to evening, evening to evening. So Friday evening started the Sabbath. Saturday evening ended the Sabbath. They could go shopping again around sundown on Saturday. So they bought spices, but it was getting dark. So they wait until the morning. First light, they head out or they're on their way even as it's dark and they know where the tomb is because they were standing there the whole time and they saw all that had happened and where he went and as they go their main concern is how are we going to move the big stone out of the way you know this this tomb you probably picture more like a cave would be appropriate and it had probably a groove with a big either some sort of circular rock or flat-sided rock that you could push and close pretty easily but was in a dent or something so it wouldn't open very easily. And as they go, that's what they're thinking. We saw Jesus go into that tomb. We saw his dead body in there. We saw Joseph of Arimathea carry him in there. And they shut the tomb. And the ladies don't know what we read about in the other gospels and other places that, in fact, the tomb was even sealed and a guard had been placed. Mark doesn't share those details. It doesn't mean they don't happen. Mark just chooses not to share them with them. And he says as they're going on their way, they're, they're concerned about how are we going to open this tomb? Because we know the dead body of Jesus is in there. And so as they go, now on the third day, because Jesus died on Friday during the day. And then it turned into Saturday that evening, we would say Friday night, it turned into Saturday for them. He was in the tomb all of that time, all that Saturday, and now at some point after Saturday the first day of the week, Sunday, he, he rises. So he's in the tomb, not the way we would typically reckon it, but it is three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That is the way they would have reckoned it. And so these women come. Mary Magdalene, we don't know a lot about her. She's mentioned by Luke uh, in chapter 8, verse 2, as someone who had seven demons cast out of her. Uh, We don't know too much about uh, Mary, the mother of James, who's also known as the other Mary, the mother of James the Younger, or James the Less, and Joseph, wife of Cleopas. Salome, we're pretty sure she was the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, so she'd be married to Zebedee. Well, th- those are the things we know. But the most important thing we know about these women is that they were there as Jesus died on the cross. They knew and saw where His dead body was placed, and they headed there to anoint His dead body in honor of Him. It, they didn't embalm people. It, don't, don't think it was that. It was more of a, an honor. It was more of a process of grieving. And so they go expecting to see the dead body. And by the way, you, you, don't, you don't need to remember all of these individual facts. And, and most times when I'm sharing things like this, I'm getting it from a Bible dictionary and from Bible research. Uh, and, and, and you can get those things too. The thing to know is that as you come across questions, especially about details and facts, there are answers love to talk to you about that. I'd encourage you to k- catch up with any of your elders, anybody who's been reading the Bible for a while to, to harmonize things, to understand things. Um, the thing to remember here is, is the ending. right? That there was an ending, that Jesus died. It's, it's certain. We've got these witnesses. We've got Pilate confirming it. They saw it. And the thing is though, they believed that hope was lost. They saw Jesus die. They saw His body put in a tomb. And they are undone. Despite the fact that He had told them what was going to happen, they were at a loss. They were gripped by grief. They were suffering. And even as the new beginning had started, they were unaware of it. And they believed there was no hope. And the good news is that Jesus died. He was buried. And there was a new beginning. Jesus rose just as He said. He is risen. Okay, you guys weren't ready for that one, were you? He is risen. He is risen there you go. All right. The tomb was empty. Look at this in uh, in verse five. The tombs were big enough that he, you know, picture a cave. They could go in, uh, maybe stooped a little bit, but you could get in there. And there's enough room that, that they could see a person in there, what looked like a person. The tomb, verse five. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man, which the word there is basically not. Not a child and not an old man, so someone young ish to them, and they're probably in their 40s. Uh, so he could be anywhere from what, like, you know, 10 to 30. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I see people who are in like 18, 19, 20 years old, and they look very young to me now. Uh, so they see a young man, could have been in his 20s, could have been 18. He looks young. Sitting at the right, verse 5 says, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. You know, one of, the, one of the really neat things about Mark's Gospel, again, I'd encourage you to read it, is it deals with, even though it's short, it deals with the emotional content, the emotional perspective, what people are feeling way more often than the other Gospels. Even in this right here, they were amazed, it says. Mark has these insights into about what people were thinking and feeling and shares them with us. And he alone actually uses this word for amazed. He uses it twice here, verse 5 and verse 6. He used it back in chapter 9 and chapter 14. And the, the sense of this word is along the lines of overwhelmed. But when we say that, we think, you know, you're kind of paralyzed. You're just like, uh, you know, can't move. You're 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 weighed down. Uh, the sense is more of um, to be really intense emotional experience because of, of, of surprise or, or perplexed. Something that's just confounds you. Maybe dumbfounded would be a good thing. You're just, oh, oh, you know, mouth open, jaw hanging open. Right. That's that's the sense here. And that makes a ton of sense, right? If, if they went there believing to find a dead body, and instead they find the tomb open, and they find a, a young man-looking person there, you know, they were going to prepare a dead body. Could you imagine what it would take to gear yourself up for that? Like, And not just any dead body, but the dead body of someone that they dearly loved. Someone that they had put their hopes in that might change their circumstances, change their lives forever, already had. They had seen him do it numerous times. Again and again and again, do amazing things, and yet he died. And so that's their, their, their minds as they're approaching this tomb, no doubt, thinking, okay, we're, we've, got to, we've got to anoint Jesus. We love him so much. And he's gone. And, they, and then they get there and he's gone, gone. His body is not there. And the angel says, don't be amazed. We'll get to his message in a minute. But skip down to verse 8, where where the women are at the end of this story. Verse 8, "...they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing." to anyone, for they were afraid. You know, this, is, this is one of, of the signs of the reliability of the Scripture accounts. Is that they include stuff that if you were telling your life story, you'd leave out. You know, do you, you when you're telling people about your history and stuff? That you, you know, when you post things on Instagram and Facebook, what are you posting? Like your failures? Only if you can turn it into a humble brag, right? You're, you're posting this to highlights, right? You're putting all the good stuff on there. Look at my adorable children. You know, everybody's smiling. It's Easter picture, right? And like ten minutes before that, you were like, get her, get her, get her, get her. <laughs> smile. Happy Easter. <laughs> My kids are older now, but I was there. I think the picture we sent you guys when we were candidating here, I think that was the story on that one, wasn't it, honey? We all look good in that picture, but it took some, mm. that was a long time ago. But isn't that what we do? So think about that. One of the signs of the reliability and the honesty and the authenticity of the scriptures is that they include this stuff you wouldn't include. If you if you wanted to make a good case for someone rising from the dead, first of all, you'd be like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, we were all expecting that. It just happened, right? This, this is like this is human beings. The scriptures capture reality for human beings dealing with these things to put in there without smoothing the rough edges. In fact, now here's where I don't have a lot of time to go in this, but I do want to address that ending of Mark's Gospel in verses 8 through 20. Because I think it's in there. Because somewhere along the line, as people were copying the Scriptures, and by the way, they were originally written, these these Scriptures were originally written most likely on animal skins. Uh, And animal skins don't last. right? You, You write on something that's organic like that. It's going to deteriorate. So what do you do? You make another copy, right? And you're a human being and you don't have a phone, and OCR character recognition or anything like that, right? You you don't have a a laser printer and a computer. You don't even have a printing press. You're copying by hand. And so the amazing things, one of the amazing things about, again, the reliability of scriptures is if you look at the different copies of manuscripts that we have, for hundreds of years, they're 98% 98% the same. And there's little things like this that are a little bit different if you look in different places. And, and the, some of the earliest copies we have of the Scriptures, this verses 9 through 20 aren't in there. But they're in there and then later copies and spread very wide. And, and copying manuscripts is much like you know a river with lots of streams or a tree with lots of branches. You know, it's got the same root, but they start going different places because human beings are fallible. And the beautiful thing is that because we have so many of those copies, we can look at them and go, yeah, this is, this is the text. We don't have the originals. right? We believe they were inspired, infallible, without error, And we don't have them. But we can make really good decisions about what God actually said. And in this case, I would say this is one of those situations where you look at it and you look at all the different texts and you say, why would someone leave that out? Or why would someone put that in? And if you read it, we don't have time to read it, but go ahead and read it later. It's like it... If you look at the different tools we use, like, okay, what's the language like? What's the content? What's the vocabulary? How does it fit with the rest of the themes? You know, it's like this probably doesn't go in here. And why would someone put it in there? Because you know what? To end this book on verse 8 seems kind of weird. Why would you leave in a book that's proclaiming Jesus as the hope, why would you leave it hanging on the women are afraid? I'll tell you why. Because Mark wants you to think about it and decide for yourself, what are you going to do? But we don't like that, do we? We don't like open endings. We want it wrapped up, right? We, we want to we see it tied up with a nice pretty bow. We do that in all kinds of areas. And, and I think that's the situation here. And there's, again, more, more to it. But I think the fact that there's this different ending on the end and there's some debate about it says, you know what? There's something really powerful and interesting going on here that that is prone to misunderstanding. And very often what we want to do, right, is is if there's a misunderstanding, we want to make sure the problem is out there, it's not in here. If there's a misunderstanding, I'm probably going to defend myself longer and harder than... I'm going to listen and be willing to be corrected and changed. And so, as the angel speaks to them, saying, "Do not be amazed," he he affirms a little bit. He says, "You're looking for Jesus, verse six of Nazareth, that Jesus the Nazarene." So there's like he's he's kind of cluing them in with some key words, like, "Hey, hey, ladies, you know, you're you're, you're surprised. I understand. Uh, you're looking for Jesus, the one from Nazareth." He's been crucified. And you can kind of see them, right? They're like, yeah, yeah. That's my picture. They're, they're all going, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what we're doing. They don't say anything. Mark doesn't record them having said anything. And the angel continues, he has risen. He has risen indeed. <laughs> Good job. They didn't say that, though, did they? He's not there. He's not here. And they don't say anything. Their mouths are probably still wide open. And they're probably looking at the angel and he says, "What? Behold, look, see, here is the place where they laid him and they're like're they're probably like At least that's what I picture in my head. And then he says, verse 7, but go. The, the, The nuance of that word is like, it's not far from, you know, head out. Hit the road. Get moving. Leave this place. Go. Tell his disciples and Peter He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Get moving. You're in the wrong place, is what the angel is saying. You, you, you shouldn't be here. He doesn't say that. He's gracious, but really that's that's what the implication is, right? He told you guys he was gonna go to Galilee. And there you would see him. So you ought to get going to Galilee because that's where Jesus is. Do you know why they probably lost sight of that? Do you know when Jesus told them he was going to go to Galilee? It was in that passage uh, that again we read Friday night at at the end of Mark 14, actually right in the middle of Mark 14, where Jesus has got the Lord's Supper going and everything is, is starting to happen there. And he says basically, everyone's going to betray me. You're going to betray me. You're all going to betray me. I'm going to be by myself. But I'm going to get killed. I'm going to rise again, and I will go before you into Galilee. Okay, why would they not remember that? Because the very next thing is Peter saying, Ah, not me, Lord. Even, even if I have to die, I, I will not deny you. And Jesus says, Yes, you will. He says, No, 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 no. I won't deny you. I'll No, no, I won't. Yes, you will before the rooster crows. You'll deny me three times. Certainly that's why Peter didn't remember it, right? Because what's he thinking about? He's thinking about his incredible failure. And in fact, isn't it the grace of God that the angel would specifically say, tell the disciples and Peter. That doesn't exclude him from the disciples. It singles him out and says, Peter, even though you messed up, I want you to know where I'm going to be. And I want you to be with me Peter, I want you to come. And you, the beautiful thing in John's gospel, it has them there uh, by the Sea of Galilee having a meal. When, when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know it. He says, Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know it. Feed my lambs. You know, just that, that restoration, that new beginning for Peter. He's not singled out because he was going to be the first pope. He's singled out because he had a great misunderstanding, because he failed tremendously. And Jesus is all about reconciling, restoring, and giving hope to those who are broken, no matter how bad. And very often, what what would keep us from that, from that new beginning, is very often just the weight of our guilt and our shame. Uh, It it would be our own emotions and, and feelings and brokenness oh no i could never measure up yes and jesus says i offer you a new beginning oh but i've messed up so horribly yes you have have you called down curses on yourself in denying jesus after he told you you were going to do it maybe you have have you killed members of the church Paul did and he was offered a new beginning this is the power of the gospel this is the message of the empty tomb this is the reality that there was an end that Jesus did in fact die and he rose again and he offers this new beginning and he says move on essentially right Move on. The Jesus. The tomb is empty. Jesus is no longer among the dead. He's not in the grave. He's not among the dead. He's not in the cemetery. He is out among the people. He is where you live. Back in your hometown of Galilee, guys. That's what He's saying, ladies. He's back in Galilee. Where you should be. Don't, stop sitting here moping and, and miserable. You're forgiven. Head out. Go back home and live your life for me in a new way with a new beginning because the tomb is empty he's risen, risen no i got you with that one didn't i he is risen, he is risen amen and you can have that new beginning today jesus is not among the dead do you believe that Do you believe these witnesses who saw his dead body on that cross, who saw his dead body in that tomb, who saw the stone put in place, and then who came and found that tomb empty? And we don't have time to get into the other cases where they saw him risen. Hundreds of people, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, hundreds of people saw Jesus risen from the dead. They saw him dead. They saw him alive. This is the new beginnings. So the followers of Jesus, who were with him all of that time, right, misunderstood him. Missed the promise of the resurrection. In fact, as Peter did, argued with him about it, that it wouldn't happen. That was an earlier passage that we talked about last week. If they misunderstood, isn't it possible you have too? Uh, maybe you're here today, you've never been in a church, in a worship service before. Maybe you're tuning online just to check out what, what this is all about. Biggest Christian holiday of the year, right? Have you misunderstood Jesus? Have you misunderstood what the resurrection is all about? Have you missed this new beginning? that's offered to you. This story is about you. It's for you. It's for me. It's for every human being. Who's ever made a mistake? Who's ever ruined things? Who, who, who's ever done what they didn't want to do? Who's ever hurt anyone? Who's ever been hurt by anyone? So what, what do you do? Some of you, maybe you're, you're moved in your heart right now saying this is, this is what I want, a new beginning. You can pray and ask the Lord to give that to you. Ask Him to head you out in a new direction. Maybe you're still kind of not sure. Here's what I would encourage you to do. If you want to understand Jesus, read about Him. Commit this week. And Listen carefully. You, you can count today. So seven times, including today. You can count this as today. Spend at least five minutes, but no more than 15. Okay? At least five minutes, no more than 15, reading maybe Mark 14 to 15. Maybe you start at Mark chapter one, just flip back several pages if you found where we are right now. Read it and say, Jesus, give me a new beginning. Show me what this is all about. Seven times. See what happens. You know, you notice what the angel here says. He says, go, tell. What does he say to tell? Go make disciples of all nations? No, actually he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. He says, go tell the followers of Jesus that he's risen. And sometimes we miss that in a number of ways. But the the biggest thing we miss is that, that we still need to hear That Jesus is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We still need to hear that. That never gets old. That's that's what we look at every Sunday in one way or another, I hope, as I preach the gospel and our other pastors preach that it's about Jesus. He's risen. What are we doing? There we go. He's risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you. <laughs> I think we're having mic difficulties. He is risen. Right? That's, that's what we need to hear. This is, the, the angel says, go, tell the disciples. You know, We forget that. We misunderstand it. That somehow we think at some point, you know, after you come to a saving faith in Jesus, after you know him and, and you're walking with him for a while, now you don't really need to hear that. There's some kind of advanced, super higher level Christian thing that you got to go do, right? That, that now you just need to tell other people about it. And that's a great danger for us as, as leaders and as pastors and teachers and stuff, that we begin to just think gospel for other people. That somehow You know, we're preparing a lesson and it like never it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter, you know. I just gotta get it out to you guys and tell you what you need to learn. Yes, and it's gotta make a difference in my life. Because we all need that new beginning all the time, and that is exactly what Jesus offers. So we live, we deal with life differently. If we understand that promise, we ought to be way more humble. We ought to be more open about our errors and brokennesses, about our failures and our successes. We ought to be encouraging one another rather than beating each other down. We ought to be lifting each other up. That doesn't mean we're okay with sin, right? That doesn't mean, oh, just do whatever you want, right? It means more like, you know what? You messed up. And you know what? Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Right? Give yourselves permission to say that to one another, right? If, if, if somebody has messed up in your life, your kids have messed up, your parents have messed up, your spouse has messed up, whatever it is, you know, like, and you're talking about it. This might be a way to help. Here, here's the helpful thing. I, I've found this in our marriage that, like, we work through something really hard and it's like, oh, painful. And then, like, there's some little thing in it that's kind of funny. There's, like, a, you know, like one time we, we weren't listening to each other very well, probably me. And, uh, you know, and so my wife said something like, so then we'll have cat food for dinner, right? And I'm like, <laughs> You know, and so I'm on my phone, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, wait a minute, not, you know, it's processing, it's processing, it's like echoing. Wait, what? <laughs> so we add that in, right? It's like cat food. Oh, I'm sorry, am I not paying attention? You know, I'll put the phone down. Like, so here's in in that and and talk with each other about this. But really, could you not? bring that into your life, into your family, into your parenting, where we just just say that simply, right? You know, Jesus is risen, risen right? You you messed up, I'm disappointed, it hurt, Jesus is risen, risen right? That does not make light of the sin that shows the hope that we have that there can be a new beginning until the day we die there is a new hope for a new beginning. And what happens then? If our confidence and trust is in Jesus and we die, what happens then? We are risen. We are risen. That's a good one. I like that one. I didn't really have a good answer ready for that one. That was a good one. <laughs> what happens when we die? We are risen. How about that one? That's a good one. Yeah. What happens when we die? We are risen. Oh, let's, let's, make, it, let's make it a little like I. So you say, I, am, I, I, I will rise. How about that? I am risen. What happens when you die? I am risen. How about that? Yeah. Hey, work on it. We'll work on it. But that is the truth. That is the last time there's a new beginning and it's coming. And if your confidence and hope is in Jesus that his death and resurrection offers a new beginning to you and you put your faith in him, your death offers that last new beginning to you and it will never end and things will no longer be broken and there will be no more death. As we read earlier, he will wipe every tear from your eyes. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more brokenness. It will all be new. You will be new. And until that day comes, this is our hope. This is how we can deal with our own junk and face a broken world with hope because He is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are risen indeed. We pray that you would help us to believe those promises that you were dead and buried in that tomb for three days you were among the dead, and you rose victorious, even as the angels said, you are risen. You are risen indeed, and you have given to us the opportunity for a new beginning. I pray, O oh Lord, for each one of us, whether we have walked with you for decades or not walking with you at all right now, we would know the power of that truth, that we would tell each other again and again that you are risen, Lord, that you are the god of new beginnings that we would believe that you would wipe away the guilt and the shame and the overpowering emotions that we have within us to give us that hope and that promise of a new future a better day and it can even start today would you do that oh lord we pray in your mighty name king jesus amen